0: Hi there, global citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you from the Osu neighborhood in Accra. And I'm in a very special place because it really speaks to the person that I'm meeting today. As I walked in, there is a feeling of an exhibition, which I feel like is a, a uh almost a family album is kind of the feeling of it but we'll we'll find out more about that in the conversation so let me get right to her bio and then we'll move on into the conversation she is a writer filmmaker and art historian she is founder of the ANO Institute of Arts and Knowledge, through which she has pioneered a Pan-African cultural encyclopedia, a mobile museum's project, and curated Ghana's first pavilion at the Venice Biennale. She published her first novel, The Godchild, in 2019, and in German in 2021. She has made award-winning films for museums, such as the Tate Modern, Los Angeles County Museum of Art, or LACMA, I think they call it, and the New Museum in New York. She is the recipient of various awards and honors, having been named one of the Apollo 40 under 40, one of 50 African trailblazers by the Africa Report, and a Quartz Africa innovator in 2017, one of 12 African women making history in 2016, and one of 100 women of 2020 by OK Africa. In 2020, she was appointed to the Advisory Council of Oxford University's Cultural Program and was a Principal Investigator on the Action for Restitution to Africa Program. She received the Ghana Woman of the Year Award in 2021, and in 2022, she was awarded the world's biggest history prize from the Dan David Foundation for outstanding early and mid-career scholarship and practitioners in the historical disciplines. Nana Afroyata Ayim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Yay. So I'm so excited to have this conversation and and just to kind of learn new things about someone that I've known for many, many years. And we've just sat sat down so very rarely. So it's nice to sit and and be in the comfort of, of your space to have this conversation. So let's get started. Where are you from? Where are you local, and what is your craft? I'm from
1: Atimabuakwa, specifically. Both my parents are from Achim. So that's my heritage. Um, I was born in Germany. I'm um, in Nordrhein-Westfalen. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> in Womengeldenhausen and Nordrhein-Westfalen. OK. I grew up and then went, came back to Ghana as a baby with my mother. For a couple of years and went back. And so my, my my existence from a very early stage has been one of multiple localities. So yeah, that's um Germany, Ghana, England, Russia, and then all the different places that I've lived, like Senegal, New York, Paris, Ethiopia for a bit. I've lived in many, many different places.
0: Okay. OK, wonderful. And so where would you say you're local now? Definitely
1: Ghana. Accra okay. um, and mm-hmm. Um is where I spend most of my time. when I'm here. I am just trying out Portugal okay. right now. Mm-hmm. What part? Um, Lisbon, okay. which is um, I'm working on my second book and I was looking for somewhere that I could write. And because when you like like people who write and do other things probably know um, it's very very hard to exist in your working life and carve out time mm-hmm. for writing. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I wrote my first book was through writers residencies which are a, you know blessing to creatives, all residencies. And in this case I'm actually just kind of removing myself from my working environment, or from my normal working environment. Um, I have a lot of writer friends in Portugal like Tais Lasse and a lot of Ghanaian friends. Yeah. Um, And so we have a really beautiful writing community there. Um, And then like I did this
0: week, I come back for work projects that I have to do here. Okay, okay, got it. So interesting. And so what would you say is your craft?
1: My craft is storytelling, narrative building, I would say, yeah, in different formats.
0: Okay, so tell us about how being born in Germany, has or was sort of a launching pad for you to be this global citizen that you are? I don't know if being born in Germany
1: is the kind of the prerequisite, because yeah. Germany was quite a weird space. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it was the fact of coexisting in lots of different places. Sure. So I was born into a Ghanaian household in Germany, right. which means I wasn't in Germany, I was in a Ghanaian, tree-speaking household in Germany you know, Ghanaian eating, Ghanaian community. And then also coming back and forth from um, there to here or there to here being Accra or Ghana. And then also England then came into my life at Mm -hmm. quite a young age when I went to school there. So I think in terms of being a global citizen, it's probably, I think if I'd been born and raised and stayed in Germany, I'm not sure I would be as much of a global citizen as I am. It's more the overlapping realities.
0: Ah, okay. 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 That that makes a lot of sense. And so you mentioned England as being a, a big part of your, so you you were educated there for the most part or? In Germany
1: and England. So I'd say about half,
0: half. Okay. Okay. And so coming from that Ghanaian family in Germany and being uh I guess kind of in that household, we all know that our parents like to steer us into these very technical <laughs> or structured careers. And you're, you're not that person. So how, did, how were you able to create that space for yourself in your studies and in your works? I mean, I would say, first of all, thanks to my mother, who
1: was a very independent minded mm-hmm. um, person and woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she encouraged that spirit in me from a very young age the spirit of being myself i i never kind of veered from the path of trying to find and be myself and i feel like that's the most enormous privilege to have a female role model you know that i knew from birth who just kind of gave that space to me i think i'm it's a huge privilege and, and i'm very 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 grateful for it
0: what did your mother do professionally she did lots of different
1: things and my parents um split up when i was about 8 and so then she kind of you know fought her own way in the world she was married several times as well and so It was just that she was always like, I'm going to make the world fit me. Like, I'm not going to fit the world if I have to bend. I'm going to find space for who I am in the world. Yeah. Um, Which could obviously veer into, you know, self, um, not selfishness.
0: Um, I mean, you know, the word is typically narcissism or something maybe, I don't know. Not
1: even that strong, but just kind of like a disregard for the way the world is Ah. and so i think it's kind of like it's it's a kind of balance to strike is to be aware and of the ways of the world but then also to hold space for oneself within those ways is it's quite a balance i think
0: it absolutely is absolutely and that you say that i reflecting on myself and i'm like that's a whole that is what feminism is meant to be, right? So if we're these modern feminists, because I think about myself and I feel that is me, right? I I understand the world and I've, particularly in the last decade of my life, coming to Ghana and um, I don't want to say, I guess to some extent reinventing myself as the creative that I've always known that I've been, but trying to kind of really start to get my footing as a creative person who is actually professionally paid for it then yeah i I fully understand that so so then how did your family find germany um, them and scholarships you know that whole
1: kind of wave of post-independence go and get the golden fleece of education and come back and build our country and then there were the coups yes the series of coups and my parents had young children at the time and you know, weren't gonna come back into a series sure. of coups and violence. Right. So that's the kind of common story I think of a lot of yeah. us who yeah. who went there. But just to also finish the question that you asked about the parents mm-hmm. and the expectations, mm-hmm. there was a lot of anxiety on the parts of my parents mm-hmm. when I started branched out into I mean the interesting thing is when I went to university in England it was still free. Mm-hmm. And so in a way like I it, my choice of what I studied was not contingent on my parents paying my school, my university mm. fees, and so I could, you know, I chose to do politics and Russian. And my mother was like, "Why is a Ghanaian girl studying going to study Russian and for once? And, and I was like, "Because I love it." Yeah. And if she had been paying my university fees at the time, or my father, you know, like if one of, what I might not have had the same kind of freedom yeah. to choose something I love rather than something that was practical. Sure. I might have done more, you sure. know, even though I really didn't. Sure. But if they had been paying my school fees, I might have been coerced into doing right. it. But because, and this is like basically a real, a, a kind of call for free education and the freedom that that gives you to grow into who you want to be rather than you know having to feel like a lot of young people at the moment who go start their lives in huge amounts of debt because of the amount of you know um student fees that they have to pay um but yeah so there was that freedom and then for the first 10 years of my career you know i made no money um and so the constant focus, especially for my father because you know fathers Are very connected with security and all of that. You know, can you you have so you have so many, you know, so many degrees, so much intelligence, so much ability? Can you not go and kind of job in a bank? And I was like, do you know me? (laughs) You know, do you know your own daughter telling her to go and work in a bank? I was like, (laughs) none of my, you know, over my dead body. I'd rather. be destitute. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So there was a lot of anxiety about whether and how I would find security yeah. in my life. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: And so so that those so those first 10 years you were probably in academia a little bit doing research. And so when did you find the art?
1: I um I did a masters in african art history i have to say art was always present okay i mean i remember things like i was in germany and this is what i mean about my mother she was i really want there was a van gogh exhibition in holland Mm -hmm. at the museum in holland and germany where i lived in germany was really close to the dutch border and i really wanted i was obsessed with van gogh i was like you know painting the that starry night over and over again and i really and i was doing it as a school project and i said to my mum, i really 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 want to go and see this exhibition and she got on a train with me and she came even though it was so like i'll never forget that she was it was so abstract to her and her strange daughter who, you know, was obsessed with like art house films and, you know, all of this thing, which was so not in her wheelhouse at all. And yet she did that for me. And yeah, I don't know. I think acts of of faith and support like that from your parents, they stay with you. Like it's such a core memory for me that she took that time and the energy to do something that she had literally probably thought was the weirdest craziest thing to do um but she she did it for me nice and i think parents putting that kind of faith in you and 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 who you're trying to be in the world is so invaluable and that's you know like the one thing i would say to all parents is if you can support your child in their dreams even if it's in such a small way as getting on a train with them mm-hmm. to go to something that's important to them that stays for the rest of their lives with them um but anyway you, you were asking about art i just wanted to say that even when i was at school um art was life-changing for me it was mm-hmm. transformative mm-hmm. um i remember going to a mondrian exhibition um when i was about 15 and just seeing how this one artist had tried to translate the very nature of reality not like in its in its illusory form or even in form, but in its most in its deepest form. Um, and if you know Mondrian's work, it's like these blocks yeah. of color. Actually, that is that so is. weird. Oh yeah. My gosh, right. I, just, I just like looked <laughs> down and I was like, okay. There it is. So yes, yeah, yeah. she's like, I mean, this is something that's actually really important to me that art is everywhere and yeah. everything. So um, you guys can't see this, but the coasters that I have for my drinks are actually Mondrian paintings, mm-hmm. which I didn't <laughs> connect. Like, So this, he was very, very formative in my love for work, for art when yeah. I was about 15, because you know, these blocks of color, he was trying to distill the very nature of reality. And he started off like basically doing the, you know, the, the paintings of trees and landscapes and everything. And he was like, yeah, but this is the depiction of something. I want to get to the very essence of that tree. I want to get to the spirit of the tree. And he found that just by copying its form, He wasn't getting to the essence of what that tree was. And so he became more and more abstract in his his method and his medium, because he was trying to get to the very, very, very essence of what reality was. And I saw this at the age of 15, this journey of this person, and which was essentially a spiritual journey. And I was like, wow. That was, I mean, I think that was probably their kind of most defining moment of, of, of going into that exhibition and seeing that and, and having my mind blown and being forever transformed. Sure. I would have never thought,
0: like I did, I've seen Mondrian, but I never understood that it was an attempt to really distill art in a certain way that was its nature. And wow. You learned something new. <laughs> I mean that's what I love about being
1: an art historian yeah. or a cultural historian is you know finding out the stories and the
0: narratives yeah. and putting those together with the with the visual yeah. of or whatever the the creation yeah. is. Yeah. Ah interesting okay so art was always present Yeah. but then thinking about a career yeah. right how how could you how did you then decide okay I am this woman who Is in the creative spaces, loves art. How do do I figure out how I'm going to make that money that I haven't been making?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, I have to be honest, that took me quite a long time. I started off my mum's side of the family is in politics and what that, and not just like contemporary politics, but also traditional politics. Mm -hmm. So my grandfather was, you know, the king of Achimabuakwa. My great great grandmother was a queen mother who'd become king. Like, you know, there was like, centuries of history, of sure. leadership. And I think what that did to me growing up, even as a baby, and I mean, if you believe, which I very strongly do in the connection with your ancestors, you know, I felt this sense of obligation from a very, very early age that I'm put on this earth um, for the sake of my country, for the sake of service, for the sake of giving back. Mm-hmm. And so, and because, of the kind of history of of leadership that for me was in in the early years of in the form of politics and so for my whole childhood i thought that was what i was going into is politics yeah and so I studied politics in Russia. And as soon as I graduated, I'd been working towards going to the United Nations. I had my path very clearly set out in my head. I was going to go to the United Nations, I was going to do the thing, and then I'd come back to Ghana, and then I'd go into leadership. I mean, all of this, I had it very, very clearly set out in my mind. And then I went to United Nations. i would like been writing to them since the age of 15 or 16 or something, and I'd got this internship by lobbying them like a insane kind of (laughs) a type child that i was (laughs) like being like you must give me a place (laughs) right i must be there um and i got there um i was in the eastern european section of the department of political affairs at the time when coffee annan was still there and I was on the 86th floor or something, which was literally a floor underneath. And it was
0: like a hierarchy so th- you This is the UN in
1: New York. York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I was quite high up and yeah. the Department of Political Affairs was, you know, like there's all these departments and there's hierarchies and all of this stuff. Yeah. And I was at the time writing all these reports on Chechnya and Nagorno-Karabakh, which is between Armenia and Azerbaijan. and. And I was writing, you know, very idealistic young person about what should happen, you know. And every time I'd write a report, I would get told off for being too outspoken, for being too, you know, like, because like Russia was, was, was being very oppressive in terms of Chechnya and everything that was happening. And that's what I was putting in my report. I was like, here's a historical precedent. Here's what should happen. And they're like, you can't say that Russia's on the Security Council. You know, they have veto. And so then I was like, everywhere going like, how come Russia can just do this because it's not fair. And I literally got told to pipe down. And I was like, oh wow, this is politics. This is politics. This is not what I thought it was. It's not coming in with like, you know, ideals of freedom and justice and integrity and then fighting for that. It's this, it's this maneuvering and this, you know, manipulating and this, playing and this. And I was like, eyes wide open, very, very quickly. And so I left the UN, I thought I was gonna go from internship. And obviously, you know, like I worked very hard and I was smart and go into the research role and then go, you know, I I kind of had planned it out, but then I was like, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, this is not the path for me. You know, I was very much, and still to this day, very much believe in like truth and, you know, all like I, you know, I'm coming from the heart. Like I want to desperately create a better world. Yeah. You know, and I realized that's not what politics was trying to do. Yeah, it was just, it was just about kind of, and and you see that even here. It's just about these bodies of power and how they shift and move around the, each other. Yeah, and so. Because I'd always, like, even my thesis for both Russian and politics had both been about art and politics. Mm -hmm. And so then I came back to London and I worked for a year, like just earning money, odd jobs, you know, secretarial temping, all that stuff that you do to get money. And then I started, I'd always like, I'd already started doing research into contemporary Ghanaian art. And that's how I was like, that's how I'm going to change things, Mm -hmm. through art. And mm-hmm. especially through Ghanaian art, and so yeah, that was just the way. And so then I went to, I started. I knew I wanted to do this exhibition on contemporary Ghanaian art. This was two thousand and two, so a long time ago, twenty one years ago. At the time, African art was still like termed primitive. You know, you wouldn't believe it now, but it was still in the margins. It wasn't showing yeah, at, yeah. but you know, yeah. you know yeah. at the contemporary art spaces. It was always like African art is in the margins. And I wanted that to stop. I wanted to be part of stopping that. And so I did my, started doing research. I started asking, you know, like, I was like, how do I do this in a way that's not superficial, that's deep? And I actually went to see Gus Casey-Hayford, who's Ghanaian, who um, is now director of the Victorian Albert Museum East. And he was like, you should do a PhD if you want to do it. Deeply. And I was like, PhD is going to take me another three, four years university. I don't have time. And so, but then I went to see John Picton, who at the time was the kind of authority on African art. He's white, English, and he, but he'd lived in Nigeria for many, many years. And he's one of those rare white English professors who have the true love. Mm, and right. he, to this day, is probably the best professor I've ever had. Mm. I love him and he get, it put so much care into every single student. He oh, he was just, he's just amazing. Sure. So I went to see him and he's like, our term is starting, you know, in next week, you should join. And so I did like a super quick application. I don't know if it was next week or in a few weeks. Sure,
0: but it was short. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I joined his master's program. Wow. And I loved it. I loved learning. And that was really the beginning of the journey. And while I was doing that, I got this spot to curate the contemporary Ghanaian art show at the Liverpool Biennale. I was the only black African person. Liverpool Biennale is like the major art event in England. So I started big. Right. And I started by building, and this is insane to me now, thinking about how young I was and how ambitious. I built like a shrine house then put the art in there and i had art and fashion and music and video was very interdisciplinary i mean basically i started as i've continued right but it was it's crazy to me now looking back at that young girl and i'm like wow you knew like (laughs) even though you thought you didn't know what you were doing it was intuitive in a lot of ways yeah Yeah. and i kind of want to take her and be like you're, you know, don't be so scared and nervous. You're, you're there, you're there already. Yeah. Which is what I say to young girls and when they come to me now is I can say that to them even if I couldn't say it to myself back sure. then. And so, yeah, it was like a lot of years of hustle. And I would say, I mean, to a certain extent, I'm still hustling, but the early years were really hard, but so filled with passion so filled with love and passion of what I was doing, and I wouldn't change that for the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah that's lovely. So so now, I, you kind of answered this, but I have to ask why the where? So how did you come to be living, working, playing, where you currently are residing in? Accra. In Accra, yeah. right, at this particular place?
1: Whew. <laughs> That's her journey. So I came back to Ghana. I was always going to come back to Ghana. There was no doubt of that in my mind. You know, my parents had come back, come to Germany, but we were always talking about coming home. Always, like, there was no, we were here to stay. Yeah. You know, we were always, there's always like, oh, when we go home, when we go home. Yeah. And my mum actually, when my parents put up, did come back, but I was still there. Sure. and. She's always like, oh, when are you going to come? When are you going to come? And then my mom passed away very suddenly in 2009. And it did something to me. Like it did something to me spiritually and obviously emotionally and in every way. You know, I was very, very close to my mother. Still am. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to be there anymore. I did not want to be in Europe. I did not want to be amongst white people. I did not want to be in a country that was alien to me in every way, even though I knew it, you know, i spent many years there. I was was like, I want to be home. Mm -hmm. It was very, very clear. And so I came and obviously there was the grief of like, why didn't I come when she was still alive and all of this, but it was very clear that I now had to be here. And so I spent the years kind of building Anno here, building, you know, the ecosystem that I have and in terms of being here and in every now, like I'd always dreamt as a little girl that I would have a farm on a hill. Like that was something that every, I I've kept diaries since I was like 10 sure. in every diary. And so when I actually got my book deal and with, if, with those of, um, people that know how book deals work in the West is that they give you an advance, a chunk of money before you write the book and then you get royalties. And so with that chunk of money, I got, I put deposits on two pieces of land. The land, it, this land in Osu, and then land in every that I'd seen 10 years ago. And it was um, still available? No, oh, okay. I had told my friend, one day I will get this land, but I do not have the money now. Please keep it for me. And he did, Oh, the person who, who uh, yes. so. I won't say who he is, because everybody will rush to him, saying, can <laughs> like, you do that for you too? <laughs> <laughs> um, he, um, he, to his honor, had kept it to me for me at the same price at, at which I had first seen it at. That's a friendship. That is like for real, for real. Yeah. And so, and every, you know, he kept asking, Are you still in? And I'm like, yes, please. You know, it's, it's coming, it's coming. And so, yeah, that was, um, I mean, it also speaks to the power of holding vision mm-hmm. and just holding it and holding it. And sometimes you're in a rush. Sometimes you think, oh, I want this thing now, why is it not coming? But the things that have come to me, like people see, you know, now I would say I have what the world terms as success. And people see that and they're like, oh, it's because she comes from this family. Oh, it's because she was born in Germany. Oh, it's because she was this. Oh, it's because, you know, people are always trying to find things that they don't have or shortcuts. But dude, I've been doing this 21 years. Yeah,
0: put in the work.
1: That's a long time. That's a lifetime's work. And I've been doing this with all the sacrifices, personal sacrifices that come. It's not that I just get up and do it. There's like, every day I make a choice to do this. Mm -hmm. And making a choice to do this often means making a choice to not do that. And I'm a woman, you know, still that lives and works in a man's world and that the, difficulties and the obstacles is that. Notwithstanding, I have a lot of privilege. I acknowledge that, you know, and I'm grateful for it. And I do try in the best way that I can to pass that privilege on because, you know, I come from a context in which it's very differentiated, it's very unequal. Yeah. And, and I'm very, very aware of that. Um, but at the same time, I would say the most important thing is holding, having held a vision You know, like with the farm on the hill, I've had that vision, you know, for decades and decades and decades and decades. And you know, when there was no chance even of that vision being reality. And so I would say holding, like when you ask about how I've ended up here, where I am right now, I would say first and foremost, having the vision, knowing what I wanted, and get it. I think that's the first step because a lot of the time we mistake society's messaging for us, for our desires and for our deepest soul desires. And that's not necessarily true. And so I would say getting first and foremost to the truth of who you are and what you want. And that took me many years yeah. Of, yeah. of finding out who I was underneath all the messaging that i had got from society, from parents, from school, from partners, from all of that stuff, you yeah. know, like finding out who I was and what my heart's, heart's desire was.
0: Sure, sure. I love how you, you, you said that about the messaging. I think it dovetails well with um, my next question about global speak. Yeah. So we like to hear what you hear. And so I'd like you to share a word, a phrase or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you come to value it as a global speak. And so that local can be Ghana, but it can also be other places where you have felt local. I
1: would have said one phrase, ego B before, which okay. is like this yes. pigeon phrase. But I, I, I'm going to say another one, which I think actually might answer the question that you're going to ask next. Uh huh. But so I, I work with these knowledge keepers here who are incredible, and they keep they're kind of I originally thought would have called them traditional priests Mm -hmm. because I thought that's what they were. They're also artists and musicians, but they said to me when I first started working with them, we didn't have religion traditionally, we had knowledge systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we're not priests, we're knowledge keepers. And so that was really fascinating to me. And so I've worked with them for a while. And whenever I speak to, knowledge this particular knowledge keeper at the end of our conversation he always says free your mind ah
0: free your mind
1: (laughs) i love it and said that like i hear it in his voice like so i'd say i love that yes because it says so it's just such a simple thing but it says so many things
0: yeah 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 and he says it in english yeah okay yeah free your mind yes which is lovely that's I think that's a, a mantra, you know, yeah. for, for the world and what we what we think about. Yeah. So before I get to the question you were alluding to, yeah. I do want to talk a little bit more about what it's like to to be this creative and, and particularly on the projects that you've you've now created through the institute, which is the Cultural Encyclopedia. And and the, this curation that you've done because you you did the Venice Biennale you've done other I saw you in Dakar, and you've you've kind of gone around the globe. So so how do you, how does that become a business? Okay. Yeah.
1: Um. Huh. So, I mean, like many others, you start off from a creative standpoint. I had no idea what I was doing Mm. in terms of management, in terms of finances. And it's a journey that I'm still on. Mm. I didn't even know how to manage my own finances. Mm. Um, And I I spent many, many, many years working on that and doing like harmful patterns. I've read so many books. I've done so many things like, you know, talk to people, Advisor, yeah, I've, I'm guide, even talking to a woman right now who kind of works on the intersection of women, finance and spirituality. And for me, it's an ongoing journey. Like, like every kind of work yeah. one does on the self, it never really ends, sure. it just evolves. And so I would say that was the number one step, is looking into myself and just continuously trying to better myself in terms of, you know, knowledge of money and how money works in terms of knowledge of management, I still feel like that's a really weak point of mine, how to manage people, Mm -hmm. because as you grow and as your organization grows, you need other people to come on board at the beginning. You're everything Mm -hmm. you're, you know, your PR, your marketing, your finance director, your HR, your, you're everything Mm -hmm. you play all roles. And at some point that becomes unfeasible as you Mm -hmm. grow. And so you bring on board other people and then you then have to become a manager of people. I'm an introvert. I, I, at some point I start hating people. (laughs) (laughs) Not them themselves, but like, you know, like the noise, you know, the talking, the having to constantly talk and constantly manage some point, I literally like something goes off in my brain where I'm just like, I can't do this. I need to go and lie in a dark room by myself and not speak to anyone yeah. for a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the other thing that I, that's now something that I'm coming to peace with is that I can't actually, like, I am not the best person to manage my organisation. Mm. That's something that I've, I've come to peace with now because I just don't have it. There's people who are experts, there's sure. people who enjoy doing that. Like, uh, you know, at some point, I just it makes me want to kill myself, like having to work Stop. with people nonstop. And so, I mean, I don't know like I still feel like I haven't figured it out even though from the outside like I said it looks yeah. like very successful but maybe that's also life you know like yeah. you feel like you're constantly still every time you succeed in something I guess you go on to the next level and then you have to figure out
0: what's that yeah because like yeah. right
1: now I'm kind of figuring out how to institutionalize and how to create legacy in terms of how does my institution outlive me yeah. and so that's a whole nother level of of management of institution building of financial you know projection Planning, right. and yeah. all of that so and so at every stage as you're growing and evolving you're like oh my god how do i do this and so it's a constant process of
0: evolution and growth yeah. so are you primarily um grant funded Yeah, Yeah. and I
1: don't earn a penny from within Ghana. Mm -hmm.
0: Never have really, yeah. yeah.
1: Everything comes from outside,
0: which is a crying shame, but it's right, Right, so thinking about that, what do you think will change the dial on really, I guess, encouraging and, and creating a space where the preservation and the observation of arts and history are actually a place where people can earn a living in, in Africa and Ghana? From within the mm-hmm, continent? From within.
1: I mean, the way that the world is set up and has been set up for the last kind of century or so means that it's a hell of a long journey. I mean, it's a really long journey. When I first did the culture encyclopedia, I was like, I am only gonna fund it from with funding from within the continent. Ha, huh, yeah, that yeah, did not
0: happen. Right.
1: I think it's a really long journey. And I think that's what I love about feeling in touch with ancestors in this realm of the, you know, the, the, those who have gone and those who have yet to be born is that you don't see things in the, just the short span of your life, lifetime. You see it as a much bigger thing. And so, you know, that's what I'm saying about legacy is that I'm building now so that my children, my grandchildren, you know, don't have to do the work that I've i'm doing now sure. and so i i i don't know what i'll see in my lifetime in terms of that but i'm working so that those that come after don't have to do the same kind of work that sure. i do
0: sure sure so i want to talk a little bit more about your book <laughs> so your first so your first so you've always been a writer you've been in this creative space filmmaking and and of that sort and now you're a novelist and so how did that story find you It's always been in
1: me. It's always been in me. It's always something that I wanted to do, but I needed a lot of courage. Mm. Uh, Much more courage than in promoting other people. Like, I feel like that came quite naturally. Maybe as a woman, you are taught in a way to shine your light on others. That's kind of as, you know, like you're socialized into being the supporting role. So I think, especially as a woman, it takes a lot of, as a black woman, it takes a lot of courage to Because in a way, what you're saying as a novelist is I'm centering my voice. Mm -hmm. I'm centering the story that I want to tell. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting myself out on that platform in order to do that. And that is scary as hell. I can imagine. And so that took a lot of courage to, you know, think my voice was important enough to work on the craft of writing Mm -hmm. enough to feel like I... I mastered the form enough to be able to tell my story. Yeah, yeah, it was a journey and it still is a journey, but it's a journey that I love very
0: Sure, much. Yeah. sure. And so, but the, the story is something that's too largely personal to you yeah. in terms of the historical context. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about what it was like to, I guess, kind of put yourself out in that space, right? Because it's been in you obviously for a long time, but then you've you've looked at Fictionalizing probably some things that were very much part of what your family story is about, and so how in your community do you then now kind of not not how are you seeing but how how was this how do you feel like the story has impacted your community in terms of telling that story?
1: Who do you mean by my community? Your
0: Ghanaian community. So your community of family and friends in Ghana.
1: I mean, it's a fictional story. I don't think that anyone particularly things I was writing about them sure, sure, sure,
0: or, sure. Or, um, But I feel like it's a, it's a history that is not super well known necessarily. Yeah. So I guess in that context of, oh, now we have this new knowledge about. I mean, I feel like I could do better to be honest, but that's maybe that's why yeah. I, I do, what drives
1: me is that I sure. constantly feel like I could do better and that writing a novel is still very much an elitist mm-hmm. thing. I'm not going to go into my village in Cherby and everyone's read my novel. Chebby would probably not be happy about me calling it a village. Town, <laughs> small town. So that's what I, I'm kind of trying to figure that out right now, is how do I popularise, or well, not even popularise, or make more accessible something that's essentially still quite, you know, it's for the educated, cosmopolitan yeah. few. Yeah. So that's something that I'm still grappling with. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where film comes in, because, you know, film is everywhere. When you go to the hairdresser, yeah. you know, people sitting around the TV, um, in the village, like, and so... That's something that I, um, and I know that was spent Benny, for example, the Senegalese filmmaker, the father of African cinema, as he's called. He he started off as a novelist and Mm. became a filmmaker. I didn't know that. Because of that very reason of wanting to reach more
0: people. Sure.
1: And so I think it's something that I think about a lot, the two coexisting. I think about making my novel into a film. I think about all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And you're working on your next novel. The next book is a non-fiction book. Oh, okay. Okay. Non-fiction. Okay. Interesting. So let's talk about mindset and my mindset hack. So we like to get into the minds of our guests. And so I ask you to share uh, your favorite or an innovative mindset hack. So this is one that you practice, one that you know of, or one that you can imagine. Mindset hack.
1: Okay. I think that's where the free your mind was connected to you. I think That's probably the mindset hack, okay. I would say, the yeah. most. And also, I've just kind of connected with this spiritual teacher in Portugal, Muji. He's Jamaican,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Jamaican-Japanese.
0: Oh, Muji? Yeah. Oh, he's he's based in Portugal. Yeah, you ah, know him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watch his YouTube. Okay, yeah. Okay.
1: So I did not know of him before I moved there. Okay. I mean, not before I moved there, before I went there to write. And I'm very grateful to yeah. connect with him. Yeah, yeah. And he has this beautiful mindset hack of, how do I say this in a way that doesn't, you know, he's so eloquent about this and I want to honor that eloquence. He says like, become the observer. Mm -hmm. So it's like, as you're speaking and going about your day, you step out of yourself and in a way become the observer. And by becoming the observer, you kind of come more into a place of being rather than of the person doing. It's like you watch the self, yeah. the created self. Yeah. And that's something that I'm trying to do more and more as a kind of hack, I guess, yeah, is it absolutely if I'm is. in moments, if I'm feeling upset or something happens, I just kind of like, Go out of that, yeah. And I observe. I become the observer, and that for me is the most beautiful mindset.
0: I love the spiritual folks that kind of go into that place of. I mean, because what that speaks to me is a little bit about the astral, like kind of astrally elevating yourself to take yourself away. Some some of that is traveling to other places, you know, mentally and spiritually. But but the idea of yeah, just for coming out of it to then have a, a a more crisp understanding of what that existence is. It's, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it also allows you to come out of your own subjective small world in a way and connect yeah. with
0: the bigger the, the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I like that. That's thank you for that one. <laughs> so we've talked about a, a great amount of things. And so I like to find out who my guests are when they're not working. <laughs> we're not doing the things that kind of are about the economics of life and so would you consider yourself a reader a watcher or a listener and what are your, some of your favorite reads watches or listens or other ways that you spend your time off the clock so to speak
1: i'm kind of all three mm-hmm.
0: most are most creatives are
1: yeah so, so i don't know if i could pick one yeah i'm all three
0: okay so what are some of your favorite? watches lately
1: i loved the film past lives oh okay um i think her name is celine song the filmmaker it's her first feature film and it's so beautiful i went to london recently for a few days for work and i did something that i used to do a lot as a student which i hadn't done for a really long time which is i took myself on a date to the cinema lovely Um, and i have this one favorite cinema in london which is called the renoir it's like an art house cinema in russell square and i took myself on a date in the like late afternoon i had been in the british library all day doing research and I finished the day. It was like a really old school day. Like, you know, I was like, oh, I feel young and free again. <laughs> and so after the spending the day at the British Library, I went to the cinema. Um, and I I kind of had a ramen opposite beforehand. It was like, so, and I did it all this by myself and that's what I used to do when I was studying, is that I used to get, because you can get a student ticket and I'd go in the middle of the day after lectures, like, you know, spend a few hours in the library and then go and watch something Um, because films are my passion. And so I went to watch Past Lives and it's such a beautiful film. It's about, uh, there's a phrase that they use that comes from Korea, I can't remember what it is, but it's like about two people, are two people meant to be together in this lifetime because they've spent many, many, many past lifetimes being together so that they know when they meet in this lifetime that this, this is, is it, that this is the person that they're meant to be together. Interesting. And so it was kind of about that. It was about fate and love and grief. Um, and who you stay with and who you leave behind. And it was just done in such a poetic, sad, but joyful way. It was such a lovely dissection of love, Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: but in not the kind of small ways that we know of in lots of American movies, but in this really elevated way. It was Mm -hmm. amazing.
0: I loved it. Nice, 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 nice. And so, you know, you saying that, I think I remember seeing you were working on a work about beauty. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so asking people about beauty. And so it just kind of brings to mind the question is what in that work, because I, I look at space and a lot of your work deals with the built environment and how things look. And so where I feel that there's a bit of luxury in the idea of beauty sometimes and the way that Africans visualize their space because when I go to other countries and I see like the natural nature, obviously it's so beautiful, but when I ask a a everyday gun hand many times, what is beauty? They can't answer. And part of it is probably the language, but what is it that, and and so I kind of translated it to, what is it that makes you feel transported somehow, right? And so I'm curious about what what you found in that project and, and asking people that question.
1: The, you mean the, when we went around asking
0: people about culture? I- i'm not sure if it's culture i just remember seeing you were asking you you asked them specifically about culture or yeah the question is ah okay what is culture yeah ah okay 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 and so what did you what did you
1: find with that word oh so many different responses which was incredible so 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 many different and everyone had an answer Mm. and you know from fishermen to kids to teachers to i mean we've done a little documentary about yeah, it. yeah yeah it was so varied and beautiful actually
0: sure yeah sure i can i could imagine and I, I think maybe what i was explaining it what is what i would have asked is what is beauty
1: yeah
0: because i'm so curious because there's so much beauty that we could have but we just don't seem to recognize or want to aspire to it mm-hmm. and so i'm um, If you were to sum up what what you observed in that piece, and and I will put a link to the documentary, is it available publicly now? I
1: think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What would you say that was the, the, not the typical, but the most prevalent answer that people gave?
1: That it had to do with lived experience. You know, it was not something that was in a museum or in a glass case, or it was very much to do with lived
0: experience,
1: with like memory, with what people saw, what people experienced it was very
0: much part of people's lives. Sure, 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 sure. Well, on that note, <laughs> I'm going to leave us here because I know you have many things to do to kind of get yourself ready for the next phase of your day and moving. I really appreciate you taking time. I, I, I so appreciate it. I, I enjoy spending time in your space because it's lovely. Thank
1: you.
0: And so before we go, do you have any last thoughts you would like to share with our audience?
1: I think we, we've we kind of covered yeah quite a lot. So just, yeah, thank you also for your time and for the conversation.
0: Okay, wonderful. All right, Glocal Citizens, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us Tuesdays with new episodes at GlocalCitizensPod.com or wherever you get your podcast. Like, share, subscribe, leave us a review. We love people to know about great content online. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, wherever, leave us a review, we appreciate it. Until next time, bye for now.